Hey, how-to listeners, we're off this week, but we wanted to bring you an interesting one from the archives. James Nestor, author of Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art, helps a listener on his journey to stop snoring. I'm going to turn things over to former host David Epstein, and we'll see you back here next week. You mentioned your ex describing your snoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what was that like? Yeah, she described me as a freight train, yeah, which... Okay. I did take personally, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Welcome to How To. I'm David Epstein. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night to the sound of a chainsaw, only to realize it's just your partner snoring? Or worse, your own snoring? You're not alone. Nearly half of adults snore. A bunch of our listeners wrote in complaining about this nocturnal menace. One woman named Ann, she actually sent us a recording of her husband. Seriously, listen to this. Holy, okay, that is impressively annoying. But it's more than that. Snoring can be a health issue, and it can lead to so-called sleep divorce, where couples sleep in separate beds, or even to actual divorce, according to some research. I snore frequently and very loud, to the point that uh, people I'm with like can't sleep. This is Andrew from Los Angeles. His snoring got so bad, it came between him and his feline friends. My cats won't sleep with me anymore. It's, <laughs> it's, I'm trying not to take it too personally. When we first got them, they used to fall asleep like on my chest. It was very cute. And now they won't even be in my room. So how did you become aware that this was something new all of a sudden? I started dating a woman who I eventually um, married. We're now, we're now divorced, but... Um, Once we got married and started living together, she was like, this is unsustainable. This is really bad. She would body check me like in the middle of the night (laughs) to get me to stop snoring. Um, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I know that's not (laughs) funny, but the image, uh, it sounds Oh no, it's hilarious. I would wake up really startled and wonder what was going on. She'd be like, you're snoring again, like get it together. And I thought it was bullshit. I was was like, no, I've never snored. And I was proud of that. Eventually, I started noticing the intense dryness and soreness I'd feel at the back of my throat in the mornings. And I was like, oh, maybe this is connected to it. And then one time I kind of I kind of woke myself up and I was like, oh, this must be it. After actually admitting he had a problem, Andrew threw himself into finding a solution. He tried changing his sleep patterns, using a weighted blanket, even wore a rubber nose piece that holds your sinuses open. That plus retainers is a really sexy look, let me tell you. Um, (laughs) And I'm kind of glad to be single right now because I don't have to worry about it. Even when Andrew's awake, breathing has become a source of anxiety. And as a therapist, he's thinking a lot about something that feels like it should just be automatic. I've kind of given up actively seeking solutions to the snoring. The breathing, however, as a therapist, I have to walk my clients through breathing and think about breathing pretty frequently and... So I know I need a longer-term solution as far as that goes. Luckily, we have James Nestor here. He wrote the book on this subject. It's called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. I never set out to write a book about breath. I would have thought that that was a a foolish thing to do. (laughs) You know, breathing is something that is unconscious. It just runs in the background. Nobody ever thinks about it. But we get most of our energy through our breath, and we've completely ignored that to our fault. For James, snoring is just the tip of the iceberg. He'll share practical solutions for how Andrew and all of us can improve our health by breathing better, day and night. Stay with us. 
That was actually Andrew. He was once proud of the fact that he didn't snore, but now it's at the point where he's recording his snoring for strangers on a podcast. Needless to say, he needs help. But there are two things you should know about Andrew. First, his parents were professional missionaries and musicians. So Andrew and his five siblings, they were brought up singing. Sort of like the Von Trapp family. We were kind of a community oddity, and we'd, like, everywhere we went, we'd sing for the churches and stuff. Um, I would sing myself to sleep, um, wander out, like, at night on walks and sing to myself as kind of a self-soothing. And it was then that I really mm. came to love singing and using it for self-care. But then when I would go home and have things like voice lessons, it became a point of anxiety. And then as I grew older and body shaming got into that, I was concerned about my gut. And, you know, it, it, all, it all gets up into your head and... And it became hard to just relax and sing or breathe kind of at any point. The second thing you should know about Andrew is that he went on to study opera in college as a soprano. But then shortly after graduation, he came out as trans. That's when I discovered that I was both trans and intersex. And um, once I started taking testosterone, obviously my my vocal cords changed. Um, They loosened and stretched. And... um, now I'm a baritone. (laughs) Medically transitioning is obviously a huge step. And while Andrew was excited, it was slightly bittersweet since he lost that voice he'd spent years training. And so right before the week I took my first shot of testosterone, my pianist and I, um, we just went through to work through all the songs I would never get to sing again. Oh, wow. So this was like a proactive, like preemptive mourning process. Yes. Yeah. I was trying to be really conscious about it so I didn't regret it later. I'm really glad I did that. I mean, I was also excited to be a baritone, but I knew that I was losing like a specific piece of myself at the same time. But he was gaining something else, his freight train snore. So how did that happen? Our expert James Nestor might have an explanation. It's interesting to note that Females and males are born with different skeletal structure, okay? Males have this larger, more pronathic face, more bone density in the face, these larger jaws. Females tend to have a more recessed face, a more quote-unquote feminine profile. That's how we're born. So this isn't a problem for our breathing, right? Because all the tissues and muscles that develop in these faces Come proportionate to the bone structure. But when you introduce testosterone, you can overcrowd these areas and contribute to obstruction, to snoring, to sleep apnea, and everything you're explaining. James dove into learning about all this in part because he had his own history of breathing problems. This was about, you know, seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was getting pneumonia, mild pneumonia. I was getting bronchitis. I was wheezing. And, you know, I was boxing. I was surfing. I was, you know, according to, to everything I knew about health, mm-hmm. I was doing everything right. But still, uh, my respiratory health was really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And I had been told by a few doctors that, oh, you know, it's called old age. Get used to it. And that's the thing. Most of us have learned to just accept that we'll suffer from things like asthma, seasonal allergies, and yes, even snoring. But James says it didn't have to be this way. Well, some of it is anatomical. Mm -hmm. If you were to look at an ancient skull, anything older than about 500 years old, you would see straight teeth. You would see this very broad jaw. 
you would see this pronathic face and these huge nasal apertures. So what did ancient orthodontists do? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so it really is some maladaptation for our modern life in some way or another. That's exactly right. And, you know, I had crooked teeth. I had braces, extractions, headgear, all that stuff. Everyone I knew had the same thing. And it got me wondering, it was like, well, why didn't our ancestors have their wisdom teeth removed? Why didn't they have braces? It's because their mouths formed large enough to allow teeth to grow in straight. James says that when we as a species started eating mostly soft, processed food, we developed weaker, punier mouths. If a mouth is too small, teeth have no option than to grow in crooked. They mm. fight for room. And with a smaller mouth means you have a smaller airway. With a smaller airway, that means you're much more susceptible to respiratory problems, mm. to obstruction, which is exactly what's happened to us now. So the first thing to do is figure out if you have an obstructed airway. Right now, you can open your mouth up if it's not already open, and you'll feel your tongue rocking back into your throat. When you close your mouth, you feel that tongue rocking up to your upper palate. That's where it needs to be for that airway to be open. Mm. If you have a thumb, a, a clean thumb, you don't want any dirty thumbs in your mouth, you can put your thumb to the roof of your mouth, and if there's a very large indentation there, that is likely causing some sort of obstruction in your nasal passages. And it's cool, fascinating yeah. to see these ancient skulls, and they all had these perfectly flat upper palates, right? <laughs> None of them had these V-shaped palates. Andrew, can you tell if you have a V-shape uh, on your palate or a flat palate? Hey, I'm, I'm going to try it too. Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to call. I can talk to you Makes for an, an interesting audio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I do have the little cavern up there. Um, I don't know how deep mine is relative to everyone else's, um, but there's, you know, it, it arches. Okay, now that you've taken your thumb out of your mouth, take a moment to check. Are you breathing through your nose or is your mouth hanging open? If it's the latter, we're gonna fix that. Go find a piece of tape, not duct tape, just athletic tape or scotch tape, something that comes off easily. Put a tiny piece over your upper and lower lip during the day, just for an hour or so, to encourage you to breathe through your nose. And then once you're used to it, try it at night. It sounds really crazy because people imagine some sort of hostage situation, but don't think of it that way. This is a teeny piece of tape. And at any time, all you have to do is open your mouth and it comes right off. That's mm -hmm. the point. Mm -hmm. It's a reminder so that when your muscles relax, you keep your mouth shut. That's all it's there for. And if you can become a nasal breather at night, not only is that better for your lungs, but it can also significantly decrease your snoring because there's more pressure and air is moving more slowly in through the nose than it is through the mouth. This is fascinating, all of this. I am absolutely fascinated. Putting the tape on, on the lips, I wanna try. I already started looking for tape around my desk. Um, <laughs> um, I'm very, very interested in, in trying that. No gorilla glue. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, no. James, I just wanted to ask you, like, do you know anything about the origin of the insult mouth breather? You know, because usually I've only hear that term not in a scientific mm -hmm. context, but as an insult. So in the early 1800s, this painter by the name of George Catlin went out to all of these Native American tribes, and he traveled more miles than, than Lewis and Clark and lived with these different communities. And he noticed that they understood breathing was this medicine, and it had to be done 
through the nose. It's just we weren't able to measure it until somewhat recently. So that is an insult. It should be considered an insult. Uh, you don't want to breathe through, through your mouth. It actually affects the way your brain functions. So here's our first pointer. Don't be a mouth breather. Inhaling and exhaling through your nose keeps your tongue in its proper position and reduces snoring. The nose has other benefits, like filtering and adding moisture to the air before it reaches your lungs. Breathing through your nose also causes your body to release nitric oxide. That dilates blood vessels and allows more oxygen to reach your cells. James says that humming also increases nitric oxide, so make a habit of humming for a few minutes a day. You can only hum the Carpenters, Rainy Days and Mondays. That's the, <laughs> that's the only one that works. But no, you, you, can, you can hum anything you want. Yeah, and Andrew knows a lot of tunes, so that should be an easy one. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Do you happen to have any congestion right now in your nose? Uh, yeah, a little okay. bit, yeah. So I'm going to take, I'm going to put on the breathing therapist hat, which is something, a hat that I keep in the closet. <laughs> it's a beautiful fedora. And so here we go. Um, what I would like you to do is we're going to be doing some uh, very soft breathing, and then we're going to be holding our breath while pinching our nostrils. Okay. So take an easy breath in and then exhale very soft breath and pinch your nostrils. Now hold your breath and rock your head up and down, back and forth. Whenever you feel a pronounced need to breathe, I want you to breathe through your nose very softly, about 50% of the breath you would regularly take. So whenever you feel that need to breathe, just release your nostrils, breathe very softly. And after about 30 to 40 seconds or so, do that exact same thing. And this can really help to open up the nose and allow you to breathe through it much more easily. I just did it through twice and it's it's already feeling helpful. I'm not sure if it's a placebo effect, but I feel like mm -hmm. I'm <laughs> like I've got more clarity in the back of my sinuses. James says there's a few theories as to why that breathing exercise works. One is that it's building up more carbon dioxide, which you may only think of as the gas you want to exhale, but it's actually essential for blood flow and oxygenation of tissues. By slowing down your breath, you can elevate your CO2. When I was singing and um, if, I, if I got anxious and my breathing moved up into my chest, my instructor would have me like breathe into a paper bag mm -hmm. or something um, to increase my CO2. Was that a similar... A, like way to get to the same goal. That's exactly what it's doing. Just slow down your breathing. You can put your hands in front of your face to mimic that, and that can be helpful for some people. But the best thing mm. that I've found, especially when you're anxious, when you're about to have a panic attack, when you're about to have an asthma attack, a lot of people say, hey, it's okay, just take a deep breath. That's the worst advice in the world. <laughs> What's happening <laughs> at these stages of panic is people start to breathe. <sighs> asthma attack, the same thing. <sighs> they offload too much CO2, they cause constriction, and they exacerbate and trigger an attack. Instead of breathing too much in those situations, breathe less. While researching his book, James came across the work of a choir director named Carl Stahl. Back in the 1950s, Stahl noticed his singers were taking stilted breaths. Basically, they were taking breaths on top of breaths. 
So he developed these respiratory exercises that not only worked for his singers, they helped hospitalize veterans with emphysema and even the US Olympic track team. Stahl's secret weapon, exhaling fully. So one practice that he found would help is he would have people take a breath in and count from one to 10 over and over and over. And when they felt out of breath, they would whisper one through 10 over and over. So it's something like this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then you keep going. So don't push it. And by having those different vocalizations, he believed you could stimulate different vibrations in the airway and in the throat and allow it to open up your body more, to open up that breath. You can do this exercise for about 10 minutes a day to train yourself to fully exhale. When we come back, James will tell us about people who can hold their breath for minutes at a time. And he'll help Andrew finally hit the snooze button on his snoring. Stick around. We're back with Andrew and James Nestor, author of the book Breath. James, like a lot of us, never gave much thought to breathing until he found himself on assignment in Greece covering the World Freediving Championships. Which is a competition in which different divers challenge one another to see how deep they can dive on a single breath of air and come back to the surface conscious. If that sounds crazy, it's because it is. <laughs> and I watched this guy take a single breath of air and completely disappear into the water below. The visibility was about 200 feet. And he came back four minutes later and had just dived 103 meters on a single wow. breath of air in four minutes. And this completely blew me away because what these people are doing, according to several scientists years ago, was, was physically impossible. We shouldn't be able to withstand such pressures. We shouldn't be able to hold our breath for four, five, six, seven, eight minutes at a time. The longest breath hold is 12 and a half minutes, single breath of air. So James decided to experiment on himself to see if he could transform his own breathing. I took a CAT scan a year before and exactly a year after. And during that year, I practiced some different exercises in my mouth. I expanded my upper palate with this weird little device, this retainer. Mm -hmm. And I learned how to hold my tongue in the proper position. And through that year, I gained about, in some areas of my airway, about 15 to 20% more space. And I also gained more bone in my face by doing what our ancient ancestors did. This is our next tip. Exercise your mouth and tongue. Our ancestors used to consume foods that were tougher, meaning they were getting more chewing reps in and those reps were harder. There's actually a scientific principle known as Wolf's Law, which says that bone, just like muscle, grows in response to stress. It's not as dramatic as muscle growth, but mouth exercise like hard chewing can also spur bone growth. The key with that proper chewing stress, it's not like you can just do this and grind your teeth right now. Chewing stress is on one side or the other, and that elicits this parasympathetic response, which is why you accumulate saliva in your mouth, because your body is relaxing. So chewing is very relaxing to you. 
James chews a really tough Turkish gum called Falim. It's definitely on the leathery side of the chewing gum spectrum. I actually tried it myself, and it was a good mouth workout for sure. But you can just incorporate harder foods into your diet. It'll help you tone your airways, increase blood flow to your brain, calm you down, and even empty your sinuses of fluid. And if you try all those techniques, but your airways are still pretty clogged, there are a few more non-surgical things you can try, like flushing your nose with a neti pot or mouth massages. Essentially, someone goes into your mouth, someone goes into your nose with their pinkies, and they move around the different structures in your nose. Obviously, you're going to want to find someone who's very qualified to do this kind of thing. Uh, you do, this is not something, you know, off the street or, or have a buddy do it. Bad idea. I've done a mouth massage in college. I used to, I used to have a ton of tension and need regular back mm -hmm. massages anyways because I carried anxiety. And I started to have her do intense jaw mm -hmm. massages. And she started to study how to kind of start doing mouth massages for me. But I didn't, I didn't keep it up at all. Now I wish I had. The final technique that may be applicable to Andrew is a palatal expander. It's basically a retainer that you wear at night. It gently separates that upper palate. And no surprise, James has tried that too. I thought it was extremely awkward and terrible at the beginning, but just like <laughs> most things in life, it got a little easier the longer I did it. And finally, after a while, I just really didn't notice it was there. And it really had a profound effect on my airway health. Uh, I felt it within the first couple of weeks. Still, even as you're toning your muscles and opening up your airways, it's easy to get stressed or anxious and let our breathing get away from us. I was going to say one thing that I've um, found useful when I'm like sitting in therapy with clients and um, starting to like take on their anxiety or feel anxious about like what they're sharing or, you know, <laughs> any number of things um, is that I'm able to like focus on what they're saying and what they're doing if I'm if I'm breathing through my nose. So it makes perfect sense that you're able to think more clearly and listen more acutely. But the problem is today is many of us have such a low threshold of fear that we are constantly stressed out, right? We open our inbox, we see 30 messages our boss just wrote. We get that, <laughs> that squirt of cortisol and we become stressed out. So breathing is one of the quickest ways of getting a hold of this. A really healthy way to breathe is to breathe in to a count of about five to six seconds and out to a count of about five to six seconds. You're removing stress, you're increasing circulation, they call resonance or coherence, where everything's working at peak efficiency. So you can try it right now, and let's inhale. One, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven, exhale. Two, okay, so here's our last tip. Four, Whenever you're five, feeling slightly stressed or anxious, Ground yourself by focusing on proper breathing. Softly inhale to the count of five and exhale to the count of five. As you relax, you can increase that count. Four, five, six, seven, eight. Feels nice. I feel very relaxed. What about yeah. you, Andrew? Oh, yeah. I'm. <laughs> I was getting worried. I was like, am I going to be able to continue with this interview? I am very chill right now. 
Oh, yeah. Well, definitely wake up because we're about to have you hum in a sec. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Wait, I, I actually have to hum? Any song of your choice. For the practice that James was talking about? Yeah. Okay, you should know I'm feeling very anxious right now. Okay, now I'm going to coach you down right now. Here's another one, uh, Andrew, very quickly. Take two breaths in and exhale through the mouth. <sighs> through the nose, two breaths in. One on top of the other and uh, let all your muscles go. One more time. Let all your muscles go. <sighs> now you're on. Beautiful. Lovely. Thanks to Andrew for sharing his story with us and for humming that beautiful version of The Water is Wide. And thank you to James Nestor for all of his fascinating advice and his breathing exercises. Definitely look for his best-selling book, Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. And by the way, we heard from Andrew. Hey everyone, I just wanted to give you a quick update on my snore progress and how my breathing work has been going. I've been trying all the interventions that we talked about, which has been really fun. And each night I've been recording how much I snore and how well I sleep on the Snore Lab app. Also during the day I've been, I tried doing the mouth taping so that I breathe out of my nose and that's been really helpful. The uh, first few nights I was snoring over 50% of the night. Um, However, last night, using um, some of these interventions, I was able to get my snore time down to 19% of the night, which was really exciting. And no, the cats have not yet returned to my room to sleep. However, I have not given up hope. Do you have a problem that you need to open up about? Send us a note at howto@slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And we might have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rachel Allen and Rosemary Belson produced the show. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown, remixed by Merritt Jacob, our technical director. Special thanks to Daryl Sean. Charles Duhigg is our host emeritus. And if you like this episode, check out our previous episode, How to Sleep, which has a lot of other great relaxation tips. I'm David Epstein. And Oh, sorry, I was busy breathing. See you next time.